the problem with a lot of players, and this is just people in general, is when what you've done for a living is taken away from you, a lot of people put their identity in what they do for a living. And all of us will work or will face our work mortality. When that's taken away from you, people slip into depression. Welcome to Ballers with Babies. I'm Mark Willard. Today, we know so much about what athletes and sports personalities do, but not so much about who they are, what makes them tick. What's life like the moment the stadiums and TV cameras go dark? Most go home to their families. We want to know what that after-hours experience is like. Ballers with Babies explores their upbringing, their home life, how it's affected by their high-profile job, and how that high-profile job is affected by the home life. On Ballers with Babies, we talk to some of the most interesting names in sports and find out how they're even more interesting than we realize. And don't worry, diehard fan, we'll get to the important sports questions as well. This is your favorite people like you've never heard them before. I hope you enjoy. All right, Mark Schlereth with us, Ballers with Babies. Uh, you know him, of course, as a great offensive lineman, wonderful analyst uh, across all NFL platforms, but... Um, some of us know him as a guy with an extensive cookie jar collection. Is that true, Mark? <laughs> no, it's that not? Is not true. Oh, come on. I read somewhere that you were a cookie jar guy. I was like, that's kind of quirky and cool. No, I, I don't know. It's probably somebody made something up on, uh, <laughs> on, on some website, but no. Now, uh, do I, have I eaten a lot of cookies? Yeah. Yes. That part is very true. I, I like to joke that, uh, my, my diet when I was playing, was uh, made up exclusively of uh, taco meat and cheese whiz. So, um, you know, that's how I got so fat. I'm no, sh- I'm not no stranger to cookies, uh, <laughs> but I do not have a cookie jar collection. I've actually known a lot of offensive linemen, and I've I've always wondered because I know when you guys are playing, you have to not want to have to eat like crazy, and that sounds like fun. Is it is it fun or is it work? No, it's it's miserable. Okay, <laughs> like. I mean, I gorged myself my whole life since I was, you know, 15, 16 years old to be heavy enough to play. So, yeah, it's been it was a lifelong job. And when I first retired, man, I dropped I went from 290 to like literally 240 ish, like in a couple of months. It was Hmm. like I just quit eating. (laughs) Yeah. Now, the issue that I have now is those habits die hard. So it's it's the amount of food I consume is way more food than I need. It's typical American diet. You know, it's huge plates and, and I can't stop. Like well, I went to dinner with my wife and my daughters here in LA just Wednesday night. We went to Javier's Mexican food. It was awesome. It was delicious. I ate four baskets of chips by myself because by the time my meal came, I wasn't even hungry, but I powered through it because it's the offensive lineman in me. So like I am, I'm way too, I'm 15, 20 pounds heavier than I want to be. And it's not because I don't exercise and it's not because, um, you know, like it's not that I desire food. It's just when I sit down, it's like an old habit. I just don't eat till I, I, I eat until I'm uncomfortable, and, yeah. and which needs to change. But um, I'm better off just not eating. And I'm good at that. Like, I'll just quit eating. Like you want to how do you lose so much weight? Stop eating. It, it, it's If you don't consume any calories, eventually you're going to lose some weight. So. Uh, I need to get back on that diet because I don't have the discipline to go, all right, you know, I'm going to eat, you know, how people are like, oh, I'm going to eat six small meals a day and I'm going to have a protein and I'm going to have a, you know, no, 
If I eat a, like a half a piece of chicken, I'm going to have a whole chicken and give me some, uh, you know, give me some rice on the side, a salad. And, oh, by the way, where's my dessert? You know, I just is it's a bad it's just a bad habit. If you and I went to a Mexican place together, the servers would not like us. They do the same thing with the chips. All right. Now, you mentioned your daughters. Uh, you have a son, too, right? Three kids. Give us the uh, the names and ages uh, with the family. Okay, so my oldest daughter, Alexandria, is 32. My son, Daniel, is 31. And my daughter, Avery, is 24, I believe. My daughter, I think, I think Alex might be 33 now. I don't know. I'm getting, yeah. I'm, I'm old, but Who it's knows? right there. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, it's, it's ish. Yeah, you get to be you, you hit in the head a lot. You're my age. It's just it's just thirty ish, thirty two ish. Now, so yeah, yeah. Alexandria, Avery, they they do some TV on camera work. Your son was an athlete. What what did you tell them? What have you told them uh, about celebrity in life? Well, I mean, it's you know, it's when you when you raise your kids, you know, you're always trying to give them the best advice and the best life advice you can give them. Um, the best thing you can do is, you know, practice what you preach and, um, and, you know, try to live as correctly as you can live and, and try to adhere to, uh, the tenets and the philosophies that you believe in. And so always try to, to model that example for the kids. Um, you know, there's always, there's always going to be pitfalls and it's about working hard and believing in, you know, in the things that, that you've been blessed to do. And then also just believing in, in, you know, in, in the, like I said, in the philosophies that you have as a family. And, you know, my biggest thing with the kids is it doesn't matter what you become. It, it really matters who you become, how you treat people, um, you know, how you treat people with love and kindness and grace. And, you know, we live in a society that is really just really backwards on what true strength means. You know, they talk about um, toughness and, and strength and, you know, and, and, and honestly, in my mind, true strength is really, it needs to be redefined. It's about loving people and, and treating people with grace and kindness and forgiveness and, and being kind-hearted. And I'm just wired that way. Um, and so I always try to pe- treat people as, as more important than myself, regardless of the walk of life that I find them in or where I'm at. So I've always tried, you know, I've always tried to to pass that along to my children, to be gracious and to be kind. And they are kind people. I'm proud of the people that they've become, regardless if they have success or not and what they want to do. Um, you know, I just have always encouraged them to be kind-hearted. And, and, uh, and that's what I'm probably most proud of, of the kids, is they've all been, they've all been good friends and, and good people and and so that, to me, is is the most important thing you can pass on to them. I think that's really, really well said. Now, uh, let's be honest. Also, with uh, you know, I, I have an eight year old daughter, so I have to ask you this: uh, Your daughters are pretty. How how does a dad handle that <laughs> once they get once they get to right. adulthood? Yeah, you know, it was always uh, the, the one thing that that you know I always got the question, and I get it still as I travel around, you know, in the off seasons and you know, get on the speaker circuit and all those things. And one of the things that always gets asked of me is, you know, growing up and you were playing football and then you started your television career and all this, what would you do to spend quality time with your kids? And my standard answer to that is anytime I, I set an hour aside to spend some quality time with my kids, they did something to piss me off and it was no longer quality time. <laughs> 
Right? I mean, right. Right. They're all of a sudden they're fighting in the back, and somebody spills orange juice in the back of your new car, and you're like, you got to be kidding me. Right? right? And, you know, and you were taking this nice trip to McDonald's for a McDonald's big slam breakfast or whatever the hell it is. And, and next thing you know, you got orange juice all over your car. And now you're pissed. So, you know, the, the principle for me was spend quantity time with them, spend as much time as you can possibly. You will never, ever, ever look back on life and go, boy, I'm really pissed that I spent that I spent the the fourth quarter of that epic game playing catch with my son in the front yard. You'll never regret that time. And so my thing was I was going to be as involved as I possibly could. I was at everything. I coached my son's baseball team from the time he was four until the time he was fourteen and went into high school. Hmm. I coached my daughter's soccer teams for seven years. I was just involved. I was at every dance recital. I was at everything. Um, and because that's important. And then when you when you spend that time with them, you hope that, that they're going to make, at some point, you got to let them go, but you hope they're going to make you know good decisions. And so that was always kind of my thing with my daughters is I trust you guys. I, I know you're going to do the right thing. Um, and then on top of that, I always, you know, I would always – you know, pull a kid aside that came over to take my daughter out. And I had a standard line and I just thought it was a wonderful line. I used to tell the kid, you know, Hey, like, I want you to have a great time. And, um, you know, I, I really do. And you guys you know, have a great time, have fun, you know, be kids. But I, I have to let you know that, you know, by taking my daughter out, you're completely responsible for her. You understand that. And the kid would say, yes, I understand that. And then I would say, and if anything happens to my daughter, I go, I'll kill you. you. Do you understand that? Like, I will physically put my hands around your neck and choke the life out of you. You understand that? Did, did, did anybody ever turn around and walk away right at that moment? No, but they were scared to death. And then I was like, have a good time. And they were always home before curfew, which was awesome. You know, I mean, it's just an awesome thing. But, I, you know, our house was always kind of the Kool-Aid house. And, and all the kids always felt comfortable hanging out there. And we opened our doors for you know, our FCA meetings and we opened our doors to all the kids and, and they were always very comfortable at our house. And I joke around with the kids a lot, but, um, you know, I, like anybody else, man, I, I, we all at our core, we desire to be loved and to be cared for and to be nurtured. I I think that's just a human, a, a part of being human. And, um, and my wife does a phenomenal job cooking and opening up her, her home and, uh, we just tried to do that as much as we could and love as many kids as we could that came through the door. So, um, you know, we we really didn't have hardly we, – we really didn't have any issues with any of our kids. You know, it's interesting. You talk about how much you were there, how many different things you did. I mean, you're known, you're famous for uh, being the guy who's had a 1,000 surgeries, right? When, when kids are young, uh, dad's job is to chase them around all over the place. So how did you do that while your, your body was also uh, having so much work? Yeah, you know, there was times, there, there's just times where, you know, I'm I'm laid up in the hospital or whatever, and, uh, you know, I'd come home and be on the couch for a day, and then it was then it was just time. It was time to, to try to do whatever you could do. Uh, we had, with my son, I had a five-gallon bucket, you know, and, and it's the greatest seat in the house. I mean, that was, I'd come home from practice, I'd be wrapped in ice, my knees, my back, my elbows, and that five-gallon bucket be sitting in the front yard. And I was like, well, looks like I'm going to catch a bullpen before dinner tonight, you know, <laughs> and he peppered me with fastballs. So it, it, you know, to me, it's the greatest, it was the greatest part of, 
you know, it's been the greatest part of my life is, is to be able to raise the kids and to be able to develop those relationships with them. And, and, you know, it's, it's really interesting. We have so much, you know, NFL talk right now, CTE and all the issues that, you know, that we have with head trauma and all these things. And, you know, I, I really believe, uh, you know, I understand that it's really serious, but I also, I also, we look at this and we don't research anything. We don't research how you live your life, what your purpose is when you're done playing. You know, the problem with a lot of players, and this is just people in general, is when what you've done for a living is taken away from you, a lot of people put their identity in what they do for a living. And all of us will work or will face our work mortality. When that's taken away from you, um, people slip into depression. And we don't, we don't factor any of that stuff. Like you've worked your whole life to be an athlete. And you've worked your whole life to be a football player. And that's where you've, I mean, that's where you've poured, poured everything that is you. And you identify with that. And then it gets taken away from you. And, and the majority of guys have issues. You know, they, they have depression issues. And how does that affect whatever brain damage you've done to yourself? How does that, that, that chemical imbalance, how does that affect CTE? And how does that affect the rest of your life? And then are you self-medicating with alcohol and drugs? And that was just never anything that I was into. And um, I never identified as a football player. I mean, it's what I did for a living. But, um, you know, it was far more important for me to be a husband and a father and to do those things were more important. So when the game got was taken away from me, when I could no longer play it at the level I needed to play it at, um, I was like, hey, on to the next adventure. This is awesome. Huh. Um, and, and, you know, we don't, we don't take into account those things. I just have, I've never identified with, you know, oh, I'm a celebrity or, oh, I'm a, a football player or whatever. No, what I did for a living didn't make up who I was. And like I told you earlier, you know, my big thing with the kids is I don't care what you do for a living. I care who you are, who you become. That's what's important to me. Well, that's really interesting, too, because you hear so many stories, not only of guys struggling uh, individually, but guys, their entire family struggling because they're re-entering that normal society, right? I've, I've heard from a lot of wives who have like had to talk to their guys and being like, uh, so, you know, food isn't just served. It isn't just, it, nobody's picking up after you anymore. There's no locker room attendant. Um, and, you know, I think the the thought often is for player wives, they've got this easy life, lots of money, husband's famous, but, you know, they maybe don't think about that so much. You're, you're on the road, you guys are targets for, for other women. And then that re-entry out of retirement it's probably really hard on them too. Oh yeah, I mean, what is it? The the divorce rate's still like eighty <laughs> percent. And think about this: it's not only you. All of a sudden, you've lost your identity to some degree. Your wife's lost her identity. Like it's it's amazing. You know, yeah. when, when I was playing, my wife went to Nordstroms and she was Mrs. Schlereth. Can we help you? What can we get you? You know, <laughs> here's a personal shopper, no cost to you. You know, because they know you're going to spend a lot of money. All of a sudden, I don't play anymore, and you know, and and. They lose, they lose, you're not, you're not, Mrs. Schlereth, can we get you a personal shopper? You know, it's, it, you don't get treated that way anymore. You're kind of a quote unquote, as a wife here has been. So, I mean, it, it happens, it, it happens to the families in general. And then, you know, as a, as an athlete, um, you're every day, you know, you live off an itinerary, man. Every Monday morning you walk in, you get the week's itinerary, you know, you know exactly where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do. You carry it around with you, you fold it up and you put it in your pocket and you check it. All of a sudden you're done playing. There is no itinerary. You wake up in the morning, nobody hands you an itinerary and says, hey, this is where you need to be, this is what you need to do, this is right? And, and so 
you've lived that way for the majority of your life through high school and through college and, and through your time in professional ranks. And all of a sudden, nobody's, nobody's monitoring you anymore. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a real struggle. A lot of guys really struggle um, with that, with a, the, just the, the change in not being a quote-unquote celebrity or a football player anymore, not having you know, a schedule put in front of you every day. And, you know, and, and most people look at that and go, oh, I deal with it. It's reality. And, and you know, people, people are not very empathetic. It's a problem that we have in our country in mm-hmm. general. Empathy is something that that we need to develop a better sense of. But you know, I, I get the same thing with kids that that come into this league. You think about some of the kids that come into this league, right? Um, you know, there's there's a lot of kids coming this league, um, disadvantaged economically, um, single single parent families. You know, parents uh, the, the mom working two or three jobs, or the grandma, you know, raising the kids and 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 then you know they worked their whole life to be nothing but a football player they've they've just grounded out they've become exceptionally skilled they were they were gifted athletically but they come they become exceptionally skilled and then the kid you know signs a contract as a first round draft choice gets 20 million dollars and ends up blowing his money and everybody's like oh my god you know if i had that skill and oh this is like we want the kid that's worked nothing his whole life He's used his athleticism to get him out of his current situation, which is disadvantaged situation. And as soon as he gets that money, now we want him to be a certified financial planner as well. Right. Like, you know what? <laughs> it, like, we have no empathy how hard that is. Like, everybody now, everybody that you ever grew up with that didn't have any money, that had your back and your parents and your mom and your, your grandma, they all – you want to take care of them. You want to give them some money. You want to – I mean, like – I just don't understand. We are such a bunch of turds when it comes to the way we react to people and, and the jealousy yep. of money. It just it, it's mind boggling to me, um, and the lack of empathy we have towards young kids that have worked their whole life to become a football player, and as soon as they get some money, if they do anything stupid, then we can't wait to knock them off that pedestal. All right, continuing with Mark Slareth here on Ballers with Babies. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I know anyone who grew up in Alaska. What was that like? It was awesome. It was it was awesome. You know, um, I, you, when you grow up there, like there's a lot of alcoholism. There's a lot of uh, really? depression. You know, because it's dark eight months of the year. Right. But when that's where you, that's where you grow up, you don't know any better. That's just kind of the way you live. I mean, it was awesome. I loved it. Um, you know, summertime, you're out, it's 11 o'clock at night, it's still light out, you're still playing with your buddies, you know, it was it was a wonderful place, it was a wonderful uh, experience, a wonderful place to grow up. Now, I wouldn't want to move back, uh, <laughs> I love to visit, but I wouldn't want to move back, but I, I loved it, man, it was, it was incredible, um, it, it really was, and uh, I, I just can't say enough great things about growing up in Alaska, and just Alaska in general. Um, but, you know, you have to deal with, like I said, eight months of darkness and winter and all that kind of stuff that you have to deal with. But uh, it's when that's the way you grow up. That's just the way the, the world works. You don't know any better. And it's it was phenomenal. I mean, I, I'd rush home from school. You know, you'd walk to the school bus. It'd be pitch blackout. Hmm. And then you you get done with school and you you get to the bus stop and you would run. I mean, I would sprint home. Just because there was like 20 minutes of daylight left, 
and I'd go out in the yard and, you know, and put a snowsuit on or whatever. And, and I would always be like work on pump pass and kick stuff in the winter with gloves on, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's what I did. And we had one big light in our driveway. So I'd be out there like trying to do coffin corner kicks. It's, you know, three foot of snow on the ground. And uh, yeah, it just is the way, you know, I grew up and, and I loved football and loved sports. And so I was always out there working on my game dead of winter and and you know you just learn to play and you learn to adapt to that environment um so it just is the way the world worked i I absolutely loved it yeah i mean i think it's always an underrated part of our discussions about the adults we become is just that background the only thing we know when we're, we're growing up so you know for instance how was how did that experience shape you versus the experience your kids had mostly in the denver area right um and 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 you know what what how did that shape them what were the differences yeah, I you know, I mean obviously we we spent like when I was growing up, you know, your your parents just kind of turned you loose and said, "Hey, go do whatever you is, just come home at a certain time." Um, and, you know, we don't live in that society anymore, right? You're worried about your kids and their safety, and especially when you've uh, attained a little bit of celebrity because you were a player, uh, you know, you you tend to to have a little bit more of organized activities for your kids and things of that nature. And plus, um you know, my kids were, were very active, like I said, in dance and in, you know, soccer and in and, and my son in baseball and football. So I was always involved in, in those sports and those sporting activities. And, um, and as was one of the reasons we always had open door policy and we always had all the events, all the functions were at our house just because, you know, we wanted to be involved in their lives. And, and also on top of that, you know, you wanted to watch them. You wanted to, you wanted to make sure that, um, you know, they were adhering to the rules that you had established and, you know, and you can do that when they're in, in your house. So uh, just a difference from, from that standpoint. But one thing that remained the same is I was always outside uh, as a kid. And so even when my kids were little, I didn't allow them to have video games. Um, we played outside. As a matter of fact, my, my, uh, my roommate, when I played for the Redskins, is now a doctor. He's much smarter than me. He went, he played ten years of professional football. Then he went to Harvard Medical School. He's an orthopedic surgeon for uh, um, the Baylor Group uh, in in Houston, Texas. Uh, you know the the Baylor School of Medicine. So uh, he's a phenomenal guy. But we would come home because he would eat at my house every every night, essentially. And so we pull up into the into the cul-de-sac there, and we used to play a game before dinner where we would send all the kids out in the neighborhood and the mailbox was base. And then Mark and I, he's my Mark, Dr. Mark addicts. And I would, uh, cruise through the neighborhood. Um, and we would hunt the kids with Nerf bow and arrows. And so we try to shoot them while they tried to get back to base. And it was just one of the funnest games, but that's all we did. We just played. I, mean, I played with the kids outside all the time. And that much, that part was very much like my childhood. My kids, didn't want to play video games. They didn't want to sit on the couch and watch movies. They wanted to be outside doing stuff and playing. And so that part of, of their existence was very similar to my existence and my wife's existence when we grew up and when we both grew up in Alaska. All right. Food has come up a lot in this conversation already. I can tell both of us are foodies. We already knew that about you. You know, your other business interests, for instance, the the green chili, stinkinggood.com. When when did that become kind of a passion of yours? Uh, were the kids on your brain when you, you know, when you put that together, that might be something you hand down to them, that kind of thing. How, how did that all come together? 
Yeah, well, you know, as a ex-offensive lineman, you know, you you love to eat, and it it was part of my job for years and years and years. And um, actually, the the story behind it's a great story behind the company. Uh, I'm a I'm an amateur landscaper. I like to think of myself as an expert, but you know, I grew up landscaping um, in Alaska, and and I've always done my own lawn. I mow my own lawn. I do my own landscaping. Um, it's kind of the one thing I'd much rather spend five hours working in my yard than five hours playing golf. So it's just kind of the way I'm built. Um, and so my last year in Denver playing for the Broncos, the very first day of training camp. Um, I, I tore some articular cartilage in my knee and very first, I mean, the very first practice. So I uh, ended up having to have surgery on that knee and it was out for a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't get home to mow my lawn. I was on crutches for 10 days. And so there was a guy in the neighborhood that had a lawn service that took care of several other of the Broncos that lived in the neighborhood. So he knew I got hurt, you know, cause he follows the Broncos. So he came by and just mowed the lawn for me. So, I find him once camp breaks in the neighborhood just to say thank you. You know, I really appreciate this. And he's like, oh, no problem at all, man. Hey, by the way, you know, he goes, I make the world's greatest green chili. I'd like to bring you some. Now, I'm a kid that grew up in Alaska, went to the University of Idaho, got drafted by the Skins, went to D.C., lived there for eight years. I didn't even know what green chili was. (laughs) But I was like, you're going to bring me food? You know, close to 300 pounds, I'm going to eat. So he brings me this green chili, and I devour it. It is the greatest thing I've ever eaten. I was like, oh, my God, this is great. And I just ate it like soup. I put some cheese in it and just ate it. You know, I didn't know you, you're you supposed to smother burritos or tacos or, or whatever right. in, you know, eggs and all that. I'm just eating it. And so every couple, three or four months, he brings it by the house. And, you know, we developed this friendship. And so after the second time or so that I had it, I go, dude, this stuff is so good. You ought to go into business. You ought, to, you ought to start your own business. Right. Like I encouraged him, right? And so that was like this ongoing joke that we had for like literally for like nine years. And finally, one day, he swings by the house and says, hey, listen, I've been taking your advice. And he's like, I got the packaging. I've got all this stuff. And I'm going to do this. I'm like, good for you, man. That's awesome. And he goes, so here's my ask. He goes, I'd like to be able to use your name call it your name you know and um and he's like then and i need some money right and (laughs) and i believed in the product so much i was like i'm in so we are 50 50 partners it's his recipe um we always joke around i don't even know how to make it because if i knew the recipe i just do a hostile takeover and then he'd be out of the company so um he runs the day-to-day and he is honest, hardworking. He's a great business partner. He's been amazing. And um, and we've been in business now nine years. And um, we're, you know, slowly but surely we're trying to na- navigate the pitfalls of, of the food business because it's a lot harder than I thought. Yeah. Um, but it's just been a wonderful adventure. And you know, one of these days we're actually going to make some money and it's going to be, it's going to be great. And yeah, it's just, it's become a, a, you know, a passion and it's, uh, it's been fun. And, um, and I learned, I know a lot more about the food business than I ever intended to know, but it's been a really cool adventure. Uh, that's a great story. Uh, that's awesome. All right. This is a standby question. Every single guest, uh, is asked this all the time. Toughest parenting moment. What was it? 
Ah, uh, toughest parenting moment. Gosh. Um, yeah, that's a, I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, because like, it's been for the most part, I think the toughest things for me are when things don't work out for your kids and they're disappointed. Um, you know, to be able to run up alongside them and, and to be, uh, they're, they're, you know, to be honest with them, but also to be an encouragement. Like that's like, yeah, you know, the kids do stupid things sometimes and they get themselves in trouble and there's the speeding ticket and there's those other things that, that happen. But honestly, for me, the, the toughest parenting moments for me are when something doesn't go the way they had hoped it would go. And, you know, and you can see the heartache and the pain and the disappointment in their faces. That to me is, has been the toughest stuff to go through. You know, it's like watching my son pitch and like to see him have success, man, I want to call everybody, but then to see him get shelled and it not go well, um, you know, I am heartbroken and I just want to rush out there and put my arms around him and, you know, tell him it's going to be okay. And, and, and those are the hard, those are the hard moments, you know, when things don't go well for your daughters or whatever it is, and they're trying to do something. And, you know, my, my youngest daughter has been a, a model and she was very successful as a young model. And I mean, like booked all kinds of things. And she comes out to LA to be a model and, and her thyroid gets completely out of whack. And, you know, I mean, she gets dumped because she puts on too much weight because her thyroid is is broken. Hmm. And it's been a you know, it's been a two year journey to try to to figure out exactly what's going on. And meanwhile, she's no longer booking work and she's getting dumped by agencies. And that's heartbreaking for you as a parent to see the disappointment that they have with something they've always been able to do and and that not working out. And so those things have been the hardest things for me to deal with. You know, the kids are going to do some things occasionally. Hell, I did a lot of things that were stupid, you know, as a kid. Um, you know that's going to happen occasionally, and you deal with it. You know, my, you know, one, one of the things I, I learned, one of the most valuable lessons from my son is my son was a horrible student, but he's a great kid, a great kid. And I, I still aspire to be the kind of man that he is at times. He is one of the most genuine, loyal people I've ever met in my entire life, and I am so proud of him. But I had battles with him about his schoolwork. I mean, it was just a, it was just a, and he's super smart, but it was a fight just to get him to stay eligible. And I was in this rip roaring fight with him because I wasn't going to let him go to, you know, a basketball game or whatever because his grades were so bad. And we are we're screaming at each other, and I am so frustrated with him. And you know what he said to me? In tears, he said, I'm a good kid. He goes, I, he goes, I don't take drugs. I don't drink. I haven't gotten anybody pregnant. He goes, he goes, I just am not very good at my schoolwork. And it changed my life. Wow. Cause at that point I was like, you know what? You're right. Like I'm, I'm bitching about you not being a good student and you're one of the most wonderful kids I've ever been around. I mean, honest, loyal, hard, you know, like hardworking athlete, just bored at school. And from that point forward, I was just like, listen, man, you, you just stay eligible. We'll help you. We'll get you to whatever you have to do. Just stay eligible. So you don't, you don't mess up your, your athletic career. 
and it, it changed my approach to parenting. Um, it broke my heart, but he was 100% right. It, it, like, it, the fact that you're not a great student, you know, is that the end of the world? No, it's not. It's not. I'd much rather you be a great person. Okay, Mark Slareth, Ballers with Babies. Um, let's talk football for a second. And this bit, you know, you mentioned CTE. We've mentioned your son, played baseball player. The big question that everyone wants to talk to parents about now, uh, would they ever suggest or route their kids to football anymore with what they know? What? How would you answer that? I'd say yes. I mean, again, I just feel like the values and, and the things I learned as a football player have lasted me a lifetime. And I think there's there's far more positive going on with football than there is negative. And, um, you know, I, I just I believe that. I also believe as long as you have a purpose when you're done, um, I believe your brain has enough connectivity, enough elasticity to, to overcome whatever brain damage you do, um, as long as you've got some purpose once you're done and you move in that direction. So. And, you know, people say, well, you're not a doctor. How can you say that? Well, I've talked to plenty of doctors that have that same philosophy. I've talked to neurosurgeons that would let their kids play football. I've talked to a lot of people. And, and you know, this is – we sensationalize everything as a media, and I'm part of it, because it's what sells and it's what draws eyeballs and it's what creates ratings. But but I think it's – you know, I think that it's a shame uh, that, that we have not – looked into other factors we're just looking into the cte you know that other people once they have that, that other people that have never played a contact sport that have never been in a car accident that have never had any of those things that die of dementia or die of alzheimer's you know they have cte as well so it's not just football players you know it's not just people who suffer head trauma there are other factors involved, but we don't ever look into that stuff because it doesn't sell newspapers or it doesn't get clicks on the Internet. So I'm just a believer that there are far more benefits to playing a game, to learning how to, to value others um, and, and learning how to sacrifice for one another and doing those things. There's far more value to that um, than there is in my mind, danger. So uh, would I let my kid play? Yeah. Would I let my grandkids play? Absolutely. Would, uh, you know, would I encourage other families to let their kids play? You, you bet I would. Hmm. Yeah. And what about regular injuries? It feels like, and maybe it just feels this way, but it feels like there's been an uptick, right? The NFL has lost uh, guys like Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson this year, never had Andrew Luck. You know, you, you protected QBs in your day. Everybody seems to want mobility, uh, but also mobility is what can is what can lead to these injuries. Would you rather block for a a pocket guy or kind of a multi-dimensional guy? Uh, yeah, I would rather block for a guy that that he like is going to stay in the pocket but has the ability to escape. You know, to to manipulate the pocket. So um, certainly, you know, it, it's nice to have that athletic ability and and to be able to do those things. Um, I believe that some of the uptick in injuries is, is because, you know, the, the last collective bargaining agreement, we bargained out contact, we bargained out practice time, we bargained out all those things uh, under the under the belief or under the guise that it was going to help player safety and head trauma. Um, and I believe it's had an adverse effect. I believe that guys aren't football, you know, they're not football shaped. They don't develop the kinesthetic awareness that it is that is required to play the game at a high level. 
um, there are there just seems to be more non-contact practice injuries, blown ACLs than I can ever remember as a player. Um, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with the way we approach the game in this day and age. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of that stuff that they really need to look at as a league. Um, and, and the problem with the league, let's be honest, the problem with the league is the NFL and the Players Association are too busy worrying about winning as opposed to doing what's right. They want to be right, but not do what's right. And until this, until this, this game becomes collaborative, like it was in the past, but until the Players Association and the owners and the and the league understand that, hey, without the players there is no NFL, and without the owners, you players don't have jobs. We need to come together and do what's right for the game because right now the golden goose is getting choked out, and there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons for that, and I'm not going to go into all the reasons that I think exist, but I think at, at its core, the biggest reason it's like marriage. You know, it's far more important to do what's right in marriage than to be right, and you know, marriages end all the time because we're so busy being right. You know, and tit for tat, and oh, look at what you did, and I'm going to do this. You know, and and doing what's right is far more important than being right, and and that's. You know, we find ourselves in these pissing matches between the Players Association and the NFL because they hate each other. And until that re- until that relationship is repaired, um, we're going to continue to kill this gold goose, and that's sad to me. Uh, last one, you and I uh, have both uh, been ESPNers in the past, and uh, now with Fox, what's uh, what's been the difference? I tell you what, it's been just it's been a breath of fresh air. My just to to get to call games has just been awesome. That is that has been so much fun. Um and it's it's just been a really cool cultural change, you know. Um there is a there's a real energy and a and a real life here at Fox that uh that has helped to re-energize me. And so that part's exciting. ESPN was great to me. They were awesome for 16 years. But it's always fun to go on an adventure. And, you know, life has a way of kind of um, moving on. And, and it, I'm just excited that I had the opportunity to move on and come over to Fox and do the things I, I'm getting to do. So it's re-energized me more than anything else. Mark, thanks so much for doing it. It was great to have you. My pleasure. Be well. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.